Well, I do invite you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 15 to 29 this morning. Ecclesiastes has some challenging passages, and this is uh, one of them. Um, But I think we can uh, see our way through it and be encouraged by it. And we're going to read it, and you're going to go, what in the world is he talking about? But uh, hopefully the Lord will give us some insight and illumination this morning so we can understand what God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word is saying to us this morning. Well, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, how do you navigate a world that often seems to make no sense? Solomon begins this section of scripture by observing that in his vain life he's seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Good people die young while the wicked live long flourishing life. This doesn't seem fair. And Psalm 73 and some other places in scripture explores this. Psalm 73 says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And of course he goes on in Psalm 73 to ask that question, Why, why do the wicked flourish and the righteous have such a hard time? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Solomon doesn't answer that question here. He simply observes observes that it is so. We all know that life sometimes can seem unfair, and that's just the way it is. But Solomon does give us advice, but advice that seems the opposite 
of what we would expect from the Bible. I mean, you, you probably read it and go, what is he saying there? In verse 16, be not overly righteous. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? What's that all about? Verse 17, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, verse 17 is what we'd expect from the Bible, right? Don't be wicked. Don't be foolish. Wickedness and foolishness is a lethal combination. The wicked fool's death is sometimes preceded by the words, hold my beer. You know, doing something foolish and wicked at the same time is a death penalty often. So we understand that piece of advice. Don't be wicked and don't be foolish. You could die before your time. But verse 16 is unexpected. Don't be overly righteous or too wise. I mean, Jesus told us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And wisdom is extremely desirable. Just to, I mean, you can got entire books on wisdom from being promoted in scriptures. Proverbs 8, 11, wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. In 16, 16 of Proverbs, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And in fact, Solomon sings the virtues of wisdom in verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So yes, the Bible tells us that we should be righteous and tells us that we should live wisely. But what's Solomon say, saying here? Don't be overly righteous or make yourself too wise. Well, we have to think about this in, in context of verse 15. Solomon is looking at a world that is unfair. Good people die young and the wicked live long lives. And that's just one example. Life under the sun, as Solomon liked to call it, is unfair in countless ways. It's uncontrollable. It seems capricious and random. How do people deal with this? Well, we're tempted to do two things in response to a cruel, unkind, unfair world. First, we seek to be overly righteous or too wise. And I want to look at both of those things, those two parts of this first piece of advice that he gives us. Look at them in turn and then look at the third way he gives us. Or we can think of it this way. He gives us two negative commands and three if you add in verse 17, and then he gives us a positive, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. But first, he warns us against being overly righteous. The person who is being overly righteous is the person who has come to the conclusion that God should preserve and bless the righteous. Therefore, they're going to try and be righteous, as righteous as possible, so God will be obligated to bless them, to preserve their lives. And there's a couple of problems with this. And the first is obvious, and Solomon points it out. Verse 20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We're all sinners. No one is righteous. And the Scriptures make that clear. So the person who's trying to be overly righteous is, is trying very hard to, to make God show them favor. They're trying to earn God's favor. He says, look, you can't do it. It's impossible. Look at verse 21. 
Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. See, you, you see someone else sinning, but then you realize we all do it, don't you? You, you think, oh, that person shouldn't do that, but then you find a feel ashamed because, well, I do the same thing. He's trying to help us see that we're all sinners. And then he talks about the temptations that we face. As he's searching out and trying to figure things out, he says, I find something, verse 26, I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. The world is full of temptations, and perhaps this was autobiographical because we know Solomon had many wives and concubines, and they led to his downfall. He began worshiping uh, other gods with his wives. And then verse 28, this strange verse, One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. That's possibly a, a saying of the day, a proverb of the day that Solomon is quoting here. We're not sure. It sounds a bit misogynistic, but the point he's trying to make is that no one is righteous. He's looked and, and there's, you barely ever find a good person. One in thousands. See, this alone I found, verse 29, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God, when God created man, he was upright. In the Garden of Eden, he was innocent. He was righteous. But man has sought out many schemes or plots or designs in other words, trying to be God, trying to take the place of God. And that's what led to Adam and Eve's downfall with it. They didn't trust God. They trusted the serpent. They wanted to be like God and knowing good and evil. And that led to their downfall. They, they plotted and designed something that was against God's will. So that's the first problem. The person who's trying to to uh, get God to bless them and like them by being righteous, it's impossible. That's the first point we make about this. It's impossible to be righteous. God is holy. He's perfect. We all fall short. But the second reason that this is uh, uh, forbidden by Solomon, he's saying don't be overly righteous, is that it is manipulative. You can't manipulate God. God's not your puppet. The person who tries to obligate blessings from God for their own personal with their own perceived righteousness, their own personal righteousness, is using God. You're trying to get God to do something for you or to give you something by being good, and that's trying to manipulate God. You really only want what God can give you. You don't want God necessarily. God is just a means to an end. You're using Him, perhaps for a long life, the person might be thinking. And it really turns out to be idolatry because you want something more than God. You know, if, if I am trying to get God to be pleased with me so that he will make me wealthy, then what do I really want? Do I want God? No, I want wealth. I want money. That's what I want. God is just the person that I'm using to get it. It's kind of like being a gold digger. You know, a gold digger is a person who marries another for their wealth, for their money. They don't really love the other person. They want the person's money. They want the lifestyle. They want all those good things that that person's money can buy. And that's kind of the way that we can be with God. I've done this for you, God. Why, why are these difficult things happening in my life? I've done this, this, and this. I've been good. I'm a righteous person. 
but you're not following up on your end of the bargain. Well, God doesn't make bargains. See, it's manipulative. We were designed for a relationship with God, but we don't but that relationship is not good when you're trying to use God. That's, that's not the kind of relationship that you can have with God. So that's what it means when Solomon says, do not be overly righteous. You could translate that super righteous, like the Pharisees, who were self-righteous. They were trying to manipulate God. Well, the second thing he points out, and he forbids us to do, is to be... Uh, to be making ourselves too wise. And this is the second way that we can react to dealing with an unjust world. Uh, This is the person who is trying to figure everything out. The person who wants to get their mind around all the, the details of life and to try to figure things out, hoping that there is some secret formula to figure out that will guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen. Well, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Paul knew this. He celebrated it in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You can't examine them and, and scrutinize God's ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? See, there's, Paul's talking about manipulating God there. You can't do that. And Solomon knew this. Look at verse 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. And this is Solomon, y'all. Solomon, the the wisest man on earth. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. And if it was far from Solomon, it's far from you. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He, He tried. He tried to to get his head around it all. And and he says, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. It's past finding out. Verse 27, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. You can see him trying to piece it all together to make sense out of this world. My soul has sought it repeatedly, but I have not found. Solomon failed to find it with all of his wisdom. And if Solomon couldn't do it, Neither can you. See, why do bad things happen? Sometimes we just, there's no answer. We do have wonderful promises, believers, that all things work to the good for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. But we often don't know exactly what God's purposes are in the moment. We know the ultimate purpose he has. He's conforming us to the image of Christ, and he's got a future uh, for us, a, a, a future that is filled with hope and blessing and, and sin-free and trouble-free. But what happens between now and then is, is God's call, God's decree, God's purposes being worked out. It's always good, but sometimes we don't see the good in this lifetime. And I think when we get to heaven and, and, and that 
wonderful moment where we are with the Lord, we will go, oh, aha, I get it now, I understand. I fully believe that's how we will, how we will enter heaven and come to the Lord and, and it will all make sense. Even the most random, unjust things that we see in the world, it will just make sense. And then he goes, after he says, don't be overly righteous, don't make yourself too wise, why should you destroy yourself? That's a pretty extreme statement. Why should you destroy yourself? Well, um, if you are trying to manipulate God and peer into his decrees, then it is self-destructive. It's not something that you can do it's only going to frustrate you and lead you to destruction. And that word destroy is uh, often translated uh, desolation. So there's not just, it's not just a sense of self-destruction, but it's a sense of abandonment. Like, you know, a desolate place is a place where there is nobody living. It's, it's lonely. It's, it's a desert wasteland. And that's the picture that Solomon is painting. If you're trying to manipulate God or you're trying to somehow scheme, out-scheme God, you're going to end up abandoned, desolate, and you're, you're going to self-destruct. Well, that's the negative terms. You know, those are the temptations that we sometimes face in dealing with our world, in the injustice of it, the unfairness of it. But he does give us a positive in verse 18, and that is to fear God. Don't be overly righteous, don't be too wise, don't be overly, overly wicked, and don't be foolish. But, as verse 18 says, it is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Now, that's a kind of a confusing sentence. Uh, what is this and that? Take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. I believe it's the, the two pieces of advice that he gives in verses 16 and 17. You know, take hold of my advice is basically what he's saying. Don't be overly righteous. Don't make yourself too wise. Don't be overly wicked and be a foolish. Take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. Grab this, grab this advice out of the fear of the Lord. Fearing God, that's the positive. And when we talk about fearing God, we're talking about having respect and awe for God, to, to acknowledge Him, to trust Him, uh, trust his plan, and especially trust his provision for, for us in Christ. Listen to him. You know, if you fear God, that means you have a respect for him, a respect for what he has revealed of himself, a respect for what he's doing in the world and what he's promised to us. You're acknowledging him in everything. That's the fear of the Lord, and as we read in our call to worship, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, we do need wisdom, and we do need righteousness. Our lack of righteousness and lack of wisdom is self-destructive. I mean, we are unrighteous, therefore we're liable to eternal damnation. 
And we are not wise to navigate this life. We need some righteousness and wisdom outside of ourselves, not something that we generate ourselves because we can't do it. We're already unrighteous and we're, we're not very wise. But God has provided that for us in Christ. And that's what we're celebrating, isn't it, in, at Christmas, that, that Christ came to us. Christ, our righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, all the righteousness and wisdom and sanctification and redemption that we need are found in Christ. And God has provided for it. Because of God, it says, Christ has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Christ is our righteousness. He lived a perfect life. We sang about it in the carols that we sang earlier, especially in, once in Royal David City. It talks about his childhood, how he was obedient, and how children should be obedient too, just like the Lord. And I don't think he's just talking about little kids. I think he's talking about all of his children in that hymn. We're all God's children, and we should be obedient. But we don't have enough obedience to manipulate God or to please God or to earn his favor is a gift from him in Christ. We need to receive Christ and, and his righteousness. And Christ is our wisdom. Everything we need to know about the Father and how to properly interpret reality and live to his glory is accessible to all believers in Christ, in the Son of God. Matthew Henry says, The treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. That's where the true wisdom lies, in Christ. And, and how do we understand the world? How do we understand God? Well, as John 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Uh, he's the one who shows us God. He reveals God to us. And He reveals that God is full of grace and truth. Well, this is what God has given us. So to acknowledge God, to fear God, is to trust in his provision for us. This is his plan. This is what he's provided for us, to have wisdom and righteousness and all the things that we need to be in a relationship with God. And so then we can say with confidence, if God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what happens, we can be assured that God is for us. As Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Even in the chaos of life, God has us in his hand. Even though we might perish from this earth, we will live forever in eternity with the Lord. No one can take us away from, from God. As we navigate this world, may these things be an encouragement to you. Don't try to manipulate God and, and just trust in his plan. He's in control. He's sitting on the throne. And through his provision in Christ, we know that he loves us, accepts us, 
He cares for us, and he's got our best interests at heart. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you again for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Sometimes, Lord, it's a little difficult for us when we read it to try to understand it, but we thank you that those who have gone before us have studied and, and helped us, and, and thank you, Lord, for the, the, the opportunity to study your word and be able to do that in freedom. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to rest in you, put our full and complete faith in you, in Christ, in the one who is our Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.